And once again, let me welcome you, especially if you're visiting with us this morning. Glad you're here. Uh, We're in a sermon series for the month of July where we're looking at different psalms, and we're calling this series God for the World. We're looking at different uh, psalms that show us God's heart, God's pursuing, redeeming heart for for our neighbors and for the nations. Again, it was hard to narrow this series down to just five psalms because we see this theme all over the place, just like it's all over the place in the Bible. You know, the Bible starts this way, with God telling Abraham that through him all the families of the earth will be blessed. It starts that way, and it ends this way, with this glorious vision and revelation of a great multitude that no one can number uh, from all tribes and peoples and languages, in other words, all the families of the earth, and what are they doing? They're standing before the throne of grace as ransomed and redeemed sons and daughters of the king. The Bible starts that way, it ends that way, and it is shot throughout with this theme that God is pursuing the world that he's after. It's what he's always been up to, and it's what he's still up to. If you were here just a few weeks ago, we started the series in Psalm 67, where we hear the psalmist um, praying for and looking forward to this day when, quote, when God's ways will be known in all the earth, His saving power among the nations, and then this is His desire, and He wants it to be our desire. He says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Our psalm this morning picks up on that theme and expands on it. It wants to give us, Psalm 107, that we're going to read in just a moment, it wants to give us a foretaste, a preview of what the lyrics are to that song that the nations will sing when they sing for joy. It wants to to give us a sneak peek at what the song is that the nations will sing forever in eternity. But what we're going to see, though, is that the singing's already started. The song's already begun. Psalm 107 tells us that Psalm 67 is already coming true. It's been coming true for a long time. The nations are already starting to sing because of the goodness and the steadfast love of our God. And Psalm 107 is encouraging us. It's inviting us to jump into that song and to sing along with all that we've got. Before we read, just a note, uh, just something quick to notice about the structure of this psalm. <laughs> yes, you've already noticed that it's long. Um, but just to notice about the structure, the way it's packaged, uh, the first three verses, kind of the intro of it, uh, tell us that God has redeemed and gathered in people from four different places, the north, the south, the east, and the west, the four different corners of the world. And then the rest of the psalm is going to tell us the stories of those people from the four different corners of the world. And so we're going to listen to four different stories, four different stanzas of the same song, and I want you to listen as we read, because all of their songs are very different, but all of their songs are very much the same. Let's see how that's true. Psalm 107, this is God's Word. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. 
Some wandered in desert waste, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so he bowed their hearts down with hard labor, and they fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away. In their evil plight, they reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. He turns rivers into a desert, springs of water into thirsty ground, a fruitful land into a salty waste because of the evil of its inhabitants. He turns a desert into pools of water and a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. By his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless places. But he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. The upright see it and are glad, and all wickedness shuts its mouth. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, would you now send your spirit to give us eyes to see you, to give us ears to hear you, and to give us hearts to respond to you in new and fresh ways because of the steadfast love of the Lord. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. 
So obviously, Psalm 107, it's a lengthy psalm. There is so much here. I fear, I'm afraid we're only going to scratch the surface. But I think that we can, I think we can sum it all up. I think we can boil it all down to just two main big ideas that the psalmist wants to impress on our hearts here. These two big ideas are that we are a gathered people and that God is a gathering God. The psalmist wants to impress these two grand realities into our hearts. He wants to thrill our hearts in new and fresh ways by these two grand realities. We're a gathered people and that God is a gathering God. He wants us to see ourselves like this. He wants us to see God like this. He wants us to understand our stories like this. He wants us to understand our past, our present, and our future in light of these two grand realities. And so two main points this morning. We're a gathered people, and God is a gathering God. And we're going to unpack these two main ideas um, by fleshing them out with two, well, well, no, with three little subpoints under each main heading, okay? So that's kind of the skeleton, the outline, where we're going. Two big ideas. Each big idea has three little subpoints, and the first big idea is going to take a lot longer than the second one, okay? Uh, so here we go. First big idea. We are a gathered people. The psalm opens like this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. These opening words here, they set the stage for everything that follows. It's a call, it's an invitation for God's people to stir up gratitude and, and thankfulness and praise and wonder by reflecting on and pondering on the stories that all of us have about how God has brought us in and gathered us in by His grace to Himself. He wants us to understand those stories. Notice that's how the psalm ends. Let the wise attend to these things and let them consider. In other words, think about it. Put words to it. Understand your story and then tell that story. The story of God's goodness and his steadfast love at work in our lives. And so here's what the psalmist does. He helps us to tell our stories. He wants us to see our own stories reflected here in the stories that he tells in verses 4 through 32. And so he tells the story of how God has redeemed and gathered in all kinds of people from all different kinds of places. But notice he tells the story from four different angles, four different vantage points, four different perspectives. You can think of these... Of, of these as like four different verses in a song. And each verse is different. Each verse is unique. And yet, and yet they're all kind of the same too. Because each verse is telling the same story. That we are a gathered people. And so here's how we're going to un unpack that first big idea. We are a gathered people. And we need to see where our stories begin. How our stories harmonize and what our stories produce. Okay, so we're a gathered people, and we need to understand, we need to see where our stories begin. 
You may be familiar jumping into the New Testament with the parable that Jesus told of uh, the lost sheep and the shepherd in Luke chapter 15. You remember the story, a shepherd has 100 sheep, 99 of which he finds in the pasture uh, at this particular moment, and there is one lost sheep. But he goes after that one. He puts on his hiking boots and goes out and finds that one lost sheep and finds it and brings it home back to the pasture rejoicing. Now, you could, you could look at that parable, and it's possible to walk away from that parable thinking, okay, so there's two kinds of people in this world, two kinds of sheep in this world. There's the, there's the sheep that start off in the pasture that God actually doesn't have to worry too much about, and there's the sheep that wander off and get lost and that God has to really pay extra attention to. And that's the way the Pharisees understood that parable. That's the way that the Pharisees, who, who Jesus was speaking to, that's the way they understood themselves. They thought, you know, I'm doing pretty good here. <laughs> um, and I really always have been. Sure, I might need a little dusting off, might need a little correction around the edges, might need a little bit of grace, a little bit of forgiveness every now and then. But for the most part, I've been in the pasture the whole time, and I'm staying here in the pasture the whole time. And the whole point of the religious life is just to stay in the boundaries of the pasture. But Jesus' point in that parable is the same point that the psalmist here is making in Psalm 107. And it's this. Nobody starts off in the pasture. Nobody's story begins in the pasture. (laughs) Look at how each of these four stories begin. Verse 4. Some wandered in desert wastes, hungry and thirsty. Verse 10, some sat in darkness and the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and drew near to the gates of death. Verse 23, some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. Our stories begin with us far away from the pasture, way out in the north south, east, and west. (laughs) It's how we come into this world, and it's how God has to come find us. Separated from Him, distant and cut off, way out there, a million miles from the pasture and from home. The psalmist wants us to see our own stories reflected here in these stories that he recounts. And notice, he doesn't give you many options about where you're, to, to choose from, about where your story begins. <laughs> he says, your story either begins in the north, south, or east, or west. Nobody's story begins at home. You're either separate and cut off from God at the beginning of your story in one direction or the other, either way out that way or way out that way. <laughs> and he just doesn't give you the option, you notice, of seeing yourself as someone that started off pretty close to God. He doesn't give you the option of seeing yourself as someone that's better than anybody else. He only gives you the option of seeing yourself as a lost sheep that he went out to search for and that he found and that he brought back with a smile on his face. That's where all of our stories begin. Second, we're a gathered people, and he wants to show us how our stories harmonize, 
how our stories harmonize. Um, I really hope this works. Follow along. Um, these four verses, these four stories that, um, that the psalmist tells, they're told from the perspective of those that are gathered in. Four different verses to the song, some from the perspective of the people that are gathered in from the north, south, east, and west. And I want you to notice they're all, they're all very different. They all start off in very different places, and in each desperate condition is very different. And yet, they're all very much the same, aren't they? Because our stories of God's grace at work in our life, the stories of, God, of God's pursuing grace, all of our stories harmonize with, with each other. Think about it like this. Um, in a big choir that's singing a, a big choral arrangement of some kind, um, in, a, in a big choir, you, you'll hardly ever have a moment, I'm sure, in, in a, in a, when they're singing a, you know, a big fancy choral arrangement of some kind, you'll hardly ever have a moment when they're all singing the exact same note at the same time, right? Because you'll have some that are singing alto, some are singing the bass note at that particular moment, some might be singing tenor, some might be singing soprano. Um, They're hardly all singing the exact same note at the exact same time. They're singing different notes that actually all come together and blend together in this harmony that makes a much fuller, richer, grander sound than any one note that's being sung at one particular time. The notes come together and blend in a harmony. They fit together and make a sound that's richer than if they stood by themselves. All right, now I want you to see Psalm 107 like it's this grand, rich, four-part harmony of these stories that are being sung together. And they're all slightly different, but they're all the same. (laughs) They come together in a beautiful harmony because at the end of the day, y'all, if your story is that you've been gathered in by God's grace, all of our stories harmonize together. They're all very different. And they're all very much the same. Notice the the variety of desperate conditions that the psalmist shows us here and how God's grace is more than enough in each unique desperate scenario. Verses 4 and 5, these people are wandering, hot, hungry, thirsty, homeless, wandering out in the desert, far from home. Verses 11 through 12, though, these people are rebellious, In darkness, they're in the chains of affliction and guilt, and they deserved to be there. They had spurned the Lord. Verses 17 and 18, though, these people, another slightly different desperate condition, these people are sinful fools, dying from their own self-inflicted wounds. And then verses 23 through 27, these people, another very different desperate condition, but they're just going about life. Right, They're pursuing wealth and chasing dreams, and then their world gets rocked by the waves of reality when they hit in full force. And these people that were just going about pursuing what we might call the American dream, their worlds get rocked and they realize that they're not nearly as in control as they thought that they were. Notice all four of these very different scenarios, four very different stories, just like if, 
if we had the time this morning to circle up, and if your story this morning is that God has gathered you in, that God has pursued you and claimed you by his grace, nobody would tell the exact same story. They would all be different in some kind of way. Each of them unique like a fingerprint, and yet all of them would be the same, right? Maybe they wouldn't be quite as dramatic as some of these stories here in Psalm 107, and yet there's something about all of these stories that would be the same. Did you notice that in these four different stories that there's a few lines that are repeated verbatim, exactly the same in each song? And one of these lines is this, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Same exact line in each, in each story is that, is that each of these groups of people eventually reach the end of their rope, come to the end of their resources. They hit rock bottom, and they, and they finally come to the truth and realize and are honest about the fact that they are helpless and hopeless and have nowhere to go. They reach this point where they can't go on anymore, and notice what do they do. As different and unique as their desperate conditions were, they all simply do the same exact thing. They cry out to the Lord in their trouble. Y'all, isn't that incredible? Isn't that amazing that the simple, short, desperate cry for help from the Lord triggers this unstoppable avalanche of grace and mercy. God doesn't need bribing. He doesn't need talking into. You don't have to convince him. You don't have to talk him off the, off the fence. It's, it's like he's waiting on the edge of his seat, eagerly waiting to unleash this infinite storehouse of his goodness and love and power for the one that comes to him with empty hands. They all simply cry out for help and come to him with nothing. When you come to God with, with nothing but your need, at the end of your resources, finally convinced of your bankruptcy, he will never cast you out. So we see here in Psalm 107 the stories of God's gathered People. They all harmonize together. They're all different in so many ways, and yet they're all singing the same song, right? <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. They're all singing that song in different ways, and yet they're all singing the same song. And y'all, one day, one day heaven is going to ring with the most beautiful harmony that you can ever imagine. The harmony of these kinds of stories being sung of the redeeming grace of God, and they'll all be so different from people all over the planet and all over time and space, but all singing the same song. <laughs> so our stories harmonize together. We've seen that we're a gathered people. We've seen where our stories begin our stories are all different, and yet they're all the same. Third little subpoint here is what our stories produce. You'll notice that there's one more refrain that's the exact same, that's repeated verbatim throughout each of these four stanzas, each of these four stories, and it's this. 
Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. Same exact line, repeated verbatim in each of the four stories. And the psalmist is saying this. He's saying that grace produces gratitude. A life changed by grace becomes a life characterized and shaped by gratitude. Notice it's how the psalm starts. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. A life that has been gripped by grace is a life that is shaped by gratitude and thanksgiving. But notice this this gratitude, this thankfulness that wells up in our hearts as a response to God's grace. It's not just this kind of bland, kind of general sense of, yeah, I guess I'm thankful for that. That was good. I guess my life is a little bit better because of it. I guess heaven's a little bit better than hell. So yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for it. That's fine. No, it's so much more than that. It's this deep, overwhelming, pulsing gratitude that flows out, that goes somewhere. It's thankfulness that doesn't sit still. It's gratitude that moves in two different directions. And watch this. It moves in two different directions. First of all, towards God. Gratitude that moves towards God to give all of yourself to Him in loyalty and, and, and praise and faithfulness in response to His steadfast love, right? Verse 22 mentions sacrifices of thanksgiving. This is the joyful giving away of yourself, the joyful giving away of all that you have in glad response to His pursuing, gathering grace, the joyful surrendering of your belongings and possessions, your time, your energy, your dreams, your ambitions, all in response to his loving and gathering grace. So it's gratitude that's produced by his grace that flows back towards God. But then notice it also moves in another direction. It moves towards others. Verse 2 Right after he says, right after he says, let us thank the Lord for his steadfast love, he says, let the redeemed of the Lord do what? Say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble. He's saying, let those who have been gathered in tell their stories. Let them tell their stories. Let them put it into words. Let them articulate it. Let them be honest about it. Let them bear witness to the gathering grace of God. Don't keep it to yourself, he's saying. He's saying, talk about it. (laughs) This is your story. Like, this is your story. And it's the most important thing about you. He's saying, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. (laughs) Gathered people are grateful people. And notice everyone that's gathered in, Everyone that's, that's redeemed and brought home immediately becomes someone that God uses, that God sends back out to participate in his gathering of others. Through them saying so, with their words, with their life, with everything that they have. And y'all, here's what this means. It means that you've got something to say. If you have a story of God's 
pursuing grace in your life. It's the most important thing about you. And you need to tell that story. (laughs) You have a story to tell. And just like verse 43 says, you need to attend to it. You need to consider it. You need to think about it. Maybe it's become kind of like the furniture in your life. Maybe it's become, maybe God's amazing grace has just become something that just kind of blends into the rest of your world and the rest of your story. But he's saying, no, you need to think about it, consider it, be honest about it, and tell it. (laughs) But y'all, this is not a story that you have to tell. It's not a story that you're guilted into telling. It's not a story that you're shamed into telling. It's not a story that you're forced into telling. Notice the way that he's talking about it. It's a story that you get to tell. It's a story that God's gathered people can't wait to tell. Gratitude that is produced by this kind of gathering, pursuing grace should be the only motivation For us to bear witness with our words and with our lives to our neighbors and the nations of the redeeming and gathering grace of God. Let this kind of gratitude be your only motivation to live a life that that says so, (laughs) that you are a gathered and redeemed son and daughter of the living God. So the psalmist wants He wants us to revel in that. He wants us to celebrate the good news that we're a gathered people. We're gathered people whose whose stories begin far out in the north, south, east, and west, far from the pasture. We're gathered people who have stories that harmonize. They're all so different, but the more we tell them, the more we'll realize that they're all the same. And we're gathered people who have stories of grace that produce deep gratitude, that moves us towards God and towards other people. But you know what? At the end of the day, and I know this this first point, it's the biggest point, um, the longest point at least, but we actually don't need to walk away from this thinking that our stories are the main thing. Or that we're the main character of the story. Because we are a gathered people. But Psalm 107 ultimately is about somebody else. (laughs) The story is about our gathering God. He's the main character. He's the primary character in this story. And the psalmist wants us, a gathered people, to revel and delight in our gathering God. And so our second and our our last main point, that God is a gathering God. And he wants to highlight three points here, or I want to highlight three points that he's highlighting. His pursuing grace, his renewing power, and his continuing love. So our God is is a gathering God and his pursuing grace. I want you to notice that in every case here, in each of the four stories, what is God doing? He's on the move. He's chasing. He's pursuing. He's going after people that aren't coming after him. He doesn't stay a safe distance away and lob a salvation grenade from far away so that he doesn't have to get dirty. No, he plunges into their desperate situations 
head first. <laughs> Look at this. Verse 7, he comes for the lost, hungry wanderers. How does he get them? He puts on his hiking boots and he meets them out there in the wilderness and he personally leads them home. Verse 14, for the guilty prisoners sitting there in darkness, he personally comes to the jail cell into the dark, smelly, nasty situation of our lives where we deservedly are experiencing what we are experiencing. And what does he do? He comes right there. He's not afraid to come in right there and to personally cut our chains off with his own hands and lead us out of the darkness. Verse 20, for the fool who is near to the gates of death itself because, because of our own stupidity, and maybe you know what this is like, because of your own foolishness and stupidity to find yourself cut off from God and other people and hope, and it's purely our own self-inflicted wounds, and God comes right there when we cry out for help, near to the gates of death itself, the psalmist says. And not even the gates of death scare Jesus away from coming and chasing after us and meeting us right there to heal us and to restore us. The pursuing grace of our gathering God. No desperate sinner who cries out for him is beyond the reach of his pursuing grace. It reminds me of, of a movie I was reminded of recently, um, the movie Taken, where Liam Neeson's character is a father who at some time in his, in his recent past, he was some kind of retired, he was some kind of army special forces officer. He has since retired, and, but he has a teenage daughter who's living in Europe and he's on the phone with her when a group of bad guys come into the room and take her and kidnap her. And he's on the phone with the kidnappers. Um, and this is what the father says to them. He says, I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a particular set of skills, skills that I've acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. And if you let my daughter go now, that will be the end of it. I will not come and look, and look for you. But if you don't, I will come look for you, and I will find you, and I will kill you. <laughs> Y'all, that's what God's pursuing grace is like. Nothing is going to stand in his way. He has a very particular set of skills that he's acquired over a very long career of being a God of steadfast love that pursues and gathers and chases the people that he wants, and nothing is going to stand in his way. Our gathering God is a God of pursuing grace. Second, he's a God of renewing power. In verses 33 through 42, the psalmist tells us what God's agenda is in this world. This is what he's up to and what he will finally complete one day. He wants to reverse and restore and renew. Verse 33, he turns rivers into deserts and he turns deserts back into pools of water. Verse 39, he brings low the oppressor and the wicked, and he raises up the needy out of affliction. 
He's saying that our gathering God's power is at work in this world to renew all things and to bring restoration and healing and wholeness to what's been broken and dried up. And notice, not only to the individual lives of his gathered people, but to the world itself. I don't think the language here of his turning rivers into deserts and deserts into pools of water, I don't think that it's strictly metaphorical or, or poetic. Paul tells us this in Romans 8, that the whole creation itself is groaning eagerly waiting to be set free from its bondage to corruption in the pains of childbirth, waiting for God's people to be gathered, (laughs) waiting for that gathering to be completed. And the psalmist here, he's pointing us to the hope and to the reality of God's renewing power, that evil and wickedness and injustice and all that's wrong with us in this world will one day be undone and reversed healed and renewed. Our gathering God's renewing power will one day make this world forever safe for his gathered people. And y'all, he's already started that. That renewing power is already at work in our lives and in this world. So our gathering God, he's a God of pursuing grace. He's a God of renewing power. Lastly, and we'll end with this, he's a God of continuing love. The psalm begins and it ends and it's shot all the way through with the steadfast love of God, the hesed of God. Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 43, let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. His love is continuing. His love is steadfast, immovable, unswerving, unyielding, never giving up, always holding on, always pursuing and chasing and winning, never letting go, never failing, never surprised, never outsinned, always faithful, always generous and kind, stubbornly committed to the people in the grip of His grace. That is his steadfast love, and it endures forever. Meaning that this is not the way that God used to be. And it's not the way that God will be. This is the way that God is right now. And all of God's steadfast love became incarnate in the person and work of Jesus. One day you will stare that love in the face and you will see his smile because he is the steadfast love of God that became flesh and pursued you and gathered you from the north and the south and the east and the west so that you might sing this song with all of his gathered people starting now. And for the rest of eternity, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your gathering, pursuing, steadfast, never giving up love and grace. 
We pray, Lord Jesus, that either for the first time this morning or for the 10,000th time, that it would melt our hearts and that it would cause to rise up in us such a response of gratitude and love that we couldn't help saying so. Every second of our lives, both in our words and in the way that we live, so that we might participate in the work of our gathering God who is making all things new. And we pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.